0: In Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two, we're going to read uh, the rest of chapter four, and, and hopefully we'll get to all of chapter five. <clears throat> excuse me today, uh, but we're like I said, continuing our lesson. And last week we we saw about how the early church was growing, and today I wanted to title this lesson, and it came very apparent to me yesterday what the title should be, and it's simply three words, and they're these: don't test. God. The message of scripture we're going to talk about today is to not put God to the test. Don't tempt the Lord our God. Don't test God. Amen. So as we get ready to start this lesson, let's pray this morning and have our minds clear, our hearts open, our eyes open, our ears open, may hear what the Lord is saying and that we grow by that. Amen. The Bible says that we grow by the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again today we thank you for this privilege to speak your word Lord we pray for open hearts and minds today Lord we pray for ears that do hear what the word says to us today as we look into this uh, more into the book of Acts into the early church Lord and we see our lesson today is not to put you to the test but to obey you in all things and to be honest and truthful in all things so Father we pray that you would help us today give us ears to hear and give us the voice that we may give words unto. To your word, Lord, as we expound upon it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Acts chapter 4, <clears throat> in verse 32, uh, it says two to those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that he <clears throat> did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles feet and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Now, Hosea, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. One of the things that, like we said, we're going through this as for a purpose so that we understand how the early church operated so that it may help us in this modern day church to not think we're so much better or we can do things better, but to see how they did it, see their attitude, see their mentality, see their heart and soul and mimic those things, which they did. Because we know that no church grew like the early church. Amen. Uh, God's power was, was more uh, prevalent in the early church than it has been in any time since then. Amen. because there was things going on that were totally unexplainable other than that the spirit of God was doing them. So, uh, from that passage, I just had a couple little, wrote a couple notes. The early church truly was a community or a family of people. <clears throat> what we just read proved that. Their interest in being better or having more than their fellow Christians did not exist. It says that they didn't really. It, what had happened was is is they weren't so concerned about getting more and having more and being better than this one and having more than that one. It's like, I'll take what I've got and I'll sell it and we'll put it together and and we'll just make sure we all are taken care of. So they truly were a family and a community of people. And I think it's a good thing for the church of today to remember. I see so many messages and so many uh, sermons and things. It's about uh, if you're not doing this, then God can't bless you to get this and be have more than the other one. And I, I just, I just, I think people are off the rails and and they're not following the example of the early church in the Bible. Amen. They wanted everyone in their community of believers to be taken care of. And you know when when somebody always has the other person's best interest at heart, and then that person has the other person's best interest at heart. That's a great thing, isn't it? You know, that's one of the biggest reasons that marriages break up is somebody gets selfish on one side or the other. But a perfect marriage will work perfectly if the husband has the the best interest of his wife and the wife has the best interest of her husband, you're going to have a good marriage because they're both looking out for the other one. Amen. And they don't become selfish that way. So now in chapter 5, let's read a few more verses. uh, Verses 1 through 6. But a certain man named Ananias this thing in your heart you have not lied to men but to God then Ananias hearing these words fell down and breathed his last so great fear came upon those who heard these things and the young men arose and wrapped him up carried him out and buried him why is this story in the Bible why did God upon generations in the future to understand this and to read this Is it to scare us to death? Well, it's not to scare us to death, but it's to let us see that God means business, that He's serious about His kingdom and He's serious about His church. I wrote these things down in summary of those verses we just read. Don't lie to anybody. We know that. The Bible teaches us from beginning to end. Don't lie. It's not something God likes. God does not like liars. And if you've ever noticed that when people lie It just makes a mess of everything. then they got to tell another lie to cover it. We were talking about it the other day at work. And I said, you know, if if you're always honest, you don't have to have a good memory. But if you're going to be a good liar, you better have a real good memory because you got to remember which lie you told to which person, right? I know people right now. I know some people in in charge of a lot of, of high up things. They'll tell this person one thing. And when that person walks out the door, they'll lie to the next person that comes and says the complete opposite. But God doesn't like a liar. Read the book of Revelation right at the end and you'll find out the fate of all liars. It says they will burn in the lake of fire forever and ever. So don't lie to anyone. We all know that. But what we learn from this passage is especially don't lie to our brethren. And most definitely don't lie to God. That's the number one thing we need to draw from this. Yeah, we don't shouldn't lie to anybody. That's very important. We definitely don't want to lie to each other. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be a community of believers. But ultimately, the number one person that you don't want to lie to is God Almighty. And this is what got Ananias here. This is what caused him. Think about it this way. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers of Jesus Christ, so when someone lies to a Christian, they're lying to the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter was saying. Ananias, you haven't lied to men. You thought you were just lying to me, but the Holy Spirit is here present, and now you have lied to Him because this was about His work. Amen. So don't lie to people. Remember that the Holy Spirit dwells in other Christians. Have you ever noticed? Uh, we talk about it a lot of times. People has discernment or this, that, and the other, and. And we magnify it up to be a, a real big gift or whatever. But do you know that most people that are Christians, they'll know when somebody's lying to them. There's just something you know you can watch and listen, and you're like, "This is this is nonsense." You know instantly, and that's why the but that's why is because the Holy Spirit knows the truth. He is the Spirit of Truth, therefore He knows when He hears a lie. Amen. So remember that. That's what we have to remember here in this passage. That's why God put this in here. Don't. Lie, and especially don't lie in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. It don't end well. Now, verse 4, I wanted to just draw attention just for a second to verse 4. <clears throat> this verse shows us that the Lord would have been okay with Ananias keeping part of the money for himself if he'd just been honest. It wasn't about that he didn't give everything that he said that, that he was supposed to give or how much it was sold for. Look at how verse 4 is worded. Why, While it remained, was it not your own? Nobody made you do this. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Was the money not in your own control? You could do whatever you wanted to with that money, in other words. Ananias, you didn't have to bring any of it to us. You could have done it and used it for something else. You could have given alms. You could have uh, helped someone else and bought them a house or you could have done anything you wanted. It was in your control. But where he went wrong was when he brought it to the presence of God and God's people and then lied about the total. And it seems to us in some ways trivial, doesn't it? Well, why does it really matter? It mattered to God because that's what we're talking about here today. Don't put God to the test. Don't lie in His presence. So look at that. Why have you conceived this thing in verse 4? In your heart, you have not lied to men, but to God. God is serious about His kingdom. He is serious about His church. We don't lie about those things, do we? Just be honest. That's another thing that a family should be able to do with each other, is be honest, isn't it? Should be able to be honest with each other. Come clean if we need prayer. We admit, I need prayer. If we blew it this week, we can admit, I blew it this week. Y'all pray for me. And we ought to be able to come together and pray for our brethren, right? Be honest with each other. We don't have to lie to each other. Amen? Amen. Verse 7. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things couple interesting points in that passage why does the Lord want us to remember this don't be a part of other people's lives or support them in any way it's one thing to be the one doing the line but if you have knowledge of somebody's line and then you go along with it and you support it and you repeat it then guess what you're just as guilty that's why the Bible talks about telling us not to gossip and stuff Such and such may come and tell me, you won't believe what I heard about such and such. It may or may not be true. And if it's not true and then I go spread it to this guy over here, I may have just become a partaker of a lie. Amen? So don't be a part of other people's lies. Verse 8 tells us that Sapphira had the opportunity to come clean and tell the truth. Verse 8 says, Tell me, whether you sold the land for so much, and she said yes for so much, there was her opportunity to say, "Well, you know what? No, we sold it for more than what we gave you. We decided to keep part of it back." And I think she would have lived, but when she became a partaker of that lie, she condemned herself. Amen. Verse nine says that Peter declared that Ananias and Sapphira had both tested the spirit of the Lord. Look at verse 9. Peter said to her, "How is it that you have agreed together to what? To test the spirit of the Lord." <clears throat> That's something we don't do. That's a no-no. We don't test the spirit of the Lord. Amen. Jesus quoted these scriptures some scriptures when the devil tempted him to commit suicide. Remember when he took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, hey, cast yourself off of here. And he quoted some scriptures to Jesus saying, the Lord will take care of you. He's not going to let nothing happen to you. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus quoted some scripture and said this. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, don't put him to the test. He was quoting directly from Numbers 14 and also Deuteronomy 6. Now, I want you to pay attention because we're going to get to this in just a moment. Notice the response to the power of God in the church in verse 11. They humbled themselves. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. We're going to see a stark contrast to the response of the power of God here in a few minutes. But the church got the message, didn't they? And the people who were around who had kind of heard the story, they got the message. Don't you lie to those apostles. Don't you lie to those Christians. Don't you lie to the spirit of God. Just be truthful. To forgive, we have to be honest. Think about it when you got saved. You had to get honest with him, didn't you? Lord, I'm a sinner. Couldn't sugarcoat it anymore. You might have told all kinds of people, well, I'm a good person. I'm this, this, and this. But when you come to the Lord... If you truly got saved, you had to come clean, didn't you, and tell the truth. You didn't lie to him. You said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. Amen. God values the truth and he hates a lie. So therefore, do not put God to the test by lying to other Christians, lying in the presence of God. Lie to anybody. Don't lie at all. Just be honest. Tell the truth. Amen. So that's the way they responded was they humbled themselves and great fear fell upon them. Amen. Amen. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. None of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. (coughs) It's interesting in this passage that the power of God that Jesus had demonstrated for three and a half years is now evident with the apostles. What's the significance of that? This demonstrated that the kingdom of heaven did not die with Jesus. Remember what Jesus said about his kingdom? My kingdom is not of this world. What did the prophets say about his kingdom? It will have no end. And see, when Jesus died and rose again and then he left, he was gone. He vacated earth basically, right? He's back with the Father now. So these people who had opposed him started to get the idea that well, we've finally defeated this little thing that flared up and, and there's no more going to be any more talk about it. Now, all of a sudden, these guys who had been with Jesus, these guys who had followed Jesus, all of a sudden now they're lifting people up that's been lame for 40 years and their ankles are receiving strength. Their eyes are being opened for the first time. Their ears are beginning to hear all the miracles and things that were going on. This proved that the kingdom of heaven was not bound and that it did not die on that cross with Jesus. Hallelujah. But that it was made fresh and anew when he rose from the dead. Amen. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to believers, those that call upon Jesus' name, this proved here that that kingdom had not died. Hallelujah. Amen. And you know what? I don't find anywhere in scripture that says that God has stopped proving himself to everybody on this earth. Now, sometimes we pray for people to get healed and they don't. But I have witnessed it myself. People be healed miraculously of things in their life. Circumstances that were going one direction and all of a sudden God put a stop to it and it went the other way and nobody can explain it. He's still a miracle working God today because the kingdom of heaven has been still alive and well because the king reigns from heaven and he's alive and well. Hallelujah. This same power is still present today. The kingdom of heaven is alive and well. That's how you know the Lord gave it to me. I didn't even have to read it. Amen. Praise God. Verses 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. (laughs) You know, it takes a real evil person for people to be getting set free, healed of sicknesses and diseases, and all the things that was going on. It takes a real evil person to not be happy about that. What kind of a human being would be that way other than one that's full of the devil? Think about it. Let's just call it like it is. When somebody's going around and they're not harming anybody, they're not hurting anybody, they're actually helping people. Imagine somebody going up here to, let's say we prayed about the nursing home. There's people in nursing homes that that that's where they've basically been put to live the rest of their life because their physical strength is to the point where they're never going to get better. Imagine some couple people going up there and just all of a sudden setting every one of them free and they just walk out and go back home praising God. Who in their right mind would not be, wow, can you believe this? Praise God, right? But these people got mad at the ones who did the delivering and put them in jail. Why? Because Satan had filled their hearts as well. They wanted their power and their prestige and their uh, standing in the world. They wanted that more than anything. And anything that threatened that, they were ready to respond with cruelty. Amen. It's amazing. People says all these things going on. Well, how could somebody get mad and and beat their own child to death and do all these things? They're full of the devil. Just call it like it is because that's what the devil does. He destroys things. God heals things and makes them better. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We learn in these two verses, and this is where we'll see a contrast. Unbelievers also put God to the test. You know, we learned a few minutes ago that as believers, we don't want to test God. No, don't want to go there. I don't want to test Him. I don't want to tempt Him. But here we see that unbelievers, these are the Sadducees. This is the council. They put Him to the test too by what? By trying to stop what He was doing. Those apostles were doing His work and good things were happening. So these guys said, we don't like that. We're going to put him in jail. We're going to put a stop to what God is doing. That's because they didn't truly believe God was doing it, did they? As if they had, they'd have fell on their knees and said, "God, forgive us for working against Jesus Christ." The Sadducees and the Jewish Council, Jewish Jewish Council, are once again threatened by the work the apostles were doing. It's amazing how people will resist good things in order to preserve their power and influence. See what was going to happen is was. Everybody was going to follow the apostles and then they weren't going to go to the Sadducees and they weren't going to go to the council anymore for advice. They were just going to disregard them and say, hey, we've found the truth. We've found this Jesus that they're talking about and look what he's done. Look what he's done for me. Look what he's done for my family, on and on and on. And they just couldn't have that, could they? So they had to try to put it to a put a stop to it, amen? Verse 19. Remember what we said about not putting the Lord to the test? When you test the Lord and he gets tired of it, he will do something to show that you shouldn't have tested him. Ananias and Sapphira, they tested him and they paid the price. Now all of a sudden these Sadducees, the, the council and all these, they put him to the test by saying, we're just going to put these apostles in jail where they can't preach about Jesus no more. Look what the Lord did. This is why our title is called Don't Test the Lord don't put him to the test. He's stronger than us. Amen. <laughs> he, ma- he made everything that we see. He made the earth and the heavens above and he made everything that there is. So who would be who who are we to try to put him to the test and say we know better? So look what he does here in verse 19. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said Go stand in the temple. Now remember, this is the very place they were before. <laughs> Go right back to where they arrested you. <laughs> Go right back to the temple and speak to the people all the words of them. And When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and talked. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. They didn't even know they did it, that they had escaped yet, that they'd been brought out. Verse 22 says, But when the officers came and did not put them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now they got a dilemma. They worked against God. And they put him to the test. And what did he do? He said, I'll show you how strong your prison is. I'll show you how strong the guards are. I'll bring them out by the, by the angel of the Lord and nobody will even know they've been brought out. Isn't it interesting that nobody knew they'd been rescued until they actually went back in there, however far it was, to, to go to the cell to get them out. And they realized, where are these guys at? Who let them out? Well, These guys didn't let them out. They'd been here all night. The doors are still locked. What's going on? Don't let God test. Amen. God was tested by the Sadducees in the council, which included the high priest. Think about that. He's supposed to be the top dog as far as what God is concerned. Remember? That was the way they viewed things. He was was the leader. So even he was involved in this. So he was put to the test by all these people. And he demonstrated his power by rescuing the apostles from prison without anybody knowing. He didn't do it like he did with Moses and go up to the, to the person in charge and say, hey, won't you let these people go? Won't you let these people go? God just brought them out and didn't tell anybody, did he? That's the power of the Lord. So don't put God to the test. It's hard to tell what he may do to prove his point, amen? So just obey him and work with him and not against him, amen, amen. Verses 24, now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. <laughs> that's, that's almost comical, isn't it? They thought they had the situation under control, right? We've got it in our control. We've locked them up in prison, and now we're going to call them back out here and we're going to, we're going to give them the what for? All of a sudden, when they go to bring them out of the prison, they get a report now that they're gone. They're not there. So they wonder, well, how's this going to turn out? What's going on? What has happened? Verse 25. So one came and told them, saying, Look, (laughs) the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. (laughs) In other words, they went right back to the place we arrested them and doing the same thing. That's funny. I think God has a sense of humor. I really do. Why do we have a sense of humor? We're made in His image. I think this was one of them things that the Lord did and was laughing the whole time. You arrested them in the temple for teaching in Jesus' name. You put them in jail. I brought them out and I put them right back there. And they didn't know until all of a sudden somebody coming to them, "Hey, there! We just found them. They're back down there at the temple." And they're preaching about Jesus again. That's funny. In today's terms, with this social media nice stuff, that'd be where we put a little LOL. That's funny, amen. Or one of the little smiling, laughing faces. That's funny. Praise God, He's not bound by man. Hallelujah. Verse twenty-six. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Verse 24. I just want to make a note of a couple of those verses. Verse 24 shows us how the people, how people with hard hearts respond to the work of God. The people who were plotting against the apostles did not consider that they might be working against God, but were only interested if the outcome would benefit them. Look how it's worded. Now when the high priest in verse 24, the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. They weren't worried about what was actually going on. They just worried about how is this going to look on us? Notice this is a stark contrast to how the early church responded to the work of God with Ananias and Sapphira in verse 11. It said, great fear came upon the church. Instead of these people being in great fear that how in the world did these guys make it out of prison and nobody knew it? They should have started putting two and two together. They're healing the sick. They're doing all these miracles that can't be explained other than God could do them. Now we've put them in jail to stop them, and now all of a sudden here they are unexplained. Somewhere a light bulb should have went off and said, maybe we're working against God here. But they didn't. And then notice in verses 26 through 28, This further proves that the council didn't fear God, but they only feared losing their reputation and also their personal well-being. Look at verse 26. Then the captain went out after the officers and brought them without violence for what what reason? Not that they feared God, but they feared the people lest they should be stoned because they realized these people were starting to get a big following and these people really looked to these apostles for teaching and guidance. Then in verse 28, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. He knew that the more people that started to believe in Jesus, then when the Sadducees would come and say, No, that Jesus was a false prophet. It was going to cause problems and a great conflict. And now they were actually concerned about their own well-being, that, their, that Jesus' blood may come back on them because they were the ones in charge, remember, when He was crucified. So you see, they're not, really cons- they're not really bothered by that they might be working against God even at this point. They're just worried about their standing and their reputation. Think about that. Verses 29 through 32. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered and, hanged on a t- and by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior and give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. These verses here give us the only reason that we can disobey earthly authority. It's the only place I've found in the New Testament that gives us this reason. This is the only reason that we can defy earthly authority is when it comes to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about taxes. It's not about our personal liberties and all those things. I know we're upset about a lot of them things in our country right now, but we have to obey the authority, right? So that we can live peaceably among all men. This is the one time when we can defy earthly authority. If they tell us not to talk about Jesus, talk about Him more. If they tell us not to have church, have church more. If they tell us not to say that Jesus is the Savior, say it again. Amen. Because notice what they said. They said, we've got to obey God rather than man. That's what the phrase was, right? We have to obey God. But notice what they said following. It had nothing to do with all those other things. It was 100% about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look how how they, they answered it. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. They had been given specific instructions by Jesus Christ. Go preach this gospel unto everybody you see. Into all the world for a witness. Right? Preach it to every creature. And I'm with you to the end of the age. That was their command. We have to preach the gospel. Now, if you want to raise our taxes and on and on, we'll do what we can to pay them. We'll do everything and be obedient. But when you tell us we can't preach the gospel, now you've working against God's command because God has specifically told us we have to preach the gospel. And look what he said following, look what they said. They didn't talk about they didn't talk about the bill of rights. They didn't talk about the second amendment. They didn't talk about none of the things that gets us so upset. I'm not saying that I agree with what they're doing in our country. I'm just saying we got to get real. This is what they responded. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, talking of Jesus, God has exalted to His right hand to be what? Prince and Savior. And why? Why is this? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's the one reason we can defy earthly authority. is when they tell us not to talk about Jesus. Amen? When somebody says, well, you can't talk about Jesus, say, sure I can. Want to listen? Tell them about Jesus and how good He's been to you. Amen? Amen. Verse 33. When they heard this, they got saved and everything was happy, go lucky doesn't say that, does it? It would have been nice for them to have got saved that day, wouldn't it? But that's not the way it worked. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. This further proves that they didn't care. They had no reverence for God at all, did they? It was all about them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him, And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. In this passage, there's some wise advice was given by an unbelieving council member named Gamaliel. I want you to think about this for just a moment. He wasn't a believer in Jesus. He was a Pharisee and he hadn't accepted Jesus. But he had some wise advice. It says that he was very schooled in the law and people respected him and he was held in high reputation. So he knew the scriptures. He hadn't accepted Jesus, but he knew the Old Testament scriptures. And he knew enough about those scriptures. If you're working against God or if you're putting God to the test, it's not going to end well. So he was telling them, we better be very careful how we handle these men because there's some unexplained things going on. So he gave them advice saying, we better be very careful how we deal with these fellows. Because if it is God's plan, you're not going to be able to overthrow it. And if it's just men rising up doing something, it'll fizzle out and it'll be nothing here in just a short space. You know what men do doesn't last. You ever thought about that? What men do, it doesn't last. comes to an end. But what God does continues and continues and continues. Amen. What do we learn from that? We, you and I as Christians, We must be careful not to work against everything we don't understand. If God is truly doing something, it will last. We must be then very careful when judging other ministries, other ministers, other churches, and other Christians. We have to be very careful because God may have given them a little bit of a work to do that doesn't look exactly like ours may have a different shape or a different form but the main thing is is the gospel of jesus christ being taught to the people is the foundation of christ crucified and raised from the dead is that the foundation we have to be very careful i hear people getting on the tv and all that kind of stuff and they just blast this and blast that and they don't realize what they're saying sometimes we don't know what god has given someone else to do if god is truly doing it well it will last People like different methods, different styles, etc. What's important is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything done in his name. Just because someone does it differently doesn't mean God hasn't ordained it. One One of the biggest things we see in the church world today is people will do things in church and they say, well, how come we don't do it like this church? Or how come we don't do things like this church or that church or whatever? We do things as the Lord guides us to do. I had intended when we first started here, I wanted to have a vibrant Sunday school program with the kids and things and it just never has really taken place. We're ready if it does, but it just never really has taken place. But what has taken place is a lot of people just from a little bit at a time coming in and saying, I'm just going to go there and try or I feel led to come here and try, whatever. And we just simply teach the people the Word of God. Okay? And so that's what we're talking about here Luke 9 and 49 through 50, I'm just going to read that to you. But if you want to take a note, this happened to the disciples once. And I think it's important. And that's what we should learn from this lesson from uh, Gamaliel is be very careful how we handle things that may or may not be God involved. Okay. And I'll read those to you real quickly. But uh, if you want to make a note, Luke 9 and 49, John had answered Jesus and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. People will do things a little bit different. Each church will have a little different way of doing things. I know some churches, they sing for an hour. And then other churches, like maybe here, we sing a song or two, maybe three sometimes. What happens is we start throwing rocks at each other and the one that sings for an hour goes, well, them people don't know how to worship the Lord. They only sing two songs every Sunday, right? Then you have the people that says, well, I don't know how them people can stand to sing for an hour. I don't know what's wrong with those people. People do things a little different. There's different ways of approach, different ways of meth, Different preachers have different styles, whatever the case may be. But so let's be careful not to too quickly judge our other Christians. Amen. Let us... Uh, Let us us not work against God because God may be having them do something totally different than we do, right? Amen. Verse 40 is interesting and and this is here where you kind of see it's somewhat humorous. It shows that the council only partially believed Gamaliel's advice. Instead of letting the apostles go free, what did they do? They beat them and once again commanded them to stop talking about Jesus. Okay, let's read verse 40 again together. And they agreed with him. This was the council. They agreed, Gamaliel gave us good advice. Let's be sure not to work against God. So that says, well, yeah, okay. They agreed with him. But then they called for the apostles and beaten them. <laughs> he just told them, "Be careful how you handle this situation. This might be God." But yet they still called him and we're going to give them a good frogging. we will going to give them a good beating. And they went one above that. They had to prove their authority. You ever notice that? People that has authority, they got to prove it, don't they? They got to let you know they're in charge. And what did they do? They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. They just couldn't let go of it, could they? They still had to get their way, right? Amen. And then in verses 41 through 42, So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Here we see that in the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, they had come to pass for the disciples, for the apostles here. You remember he told them this, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it is a joy and a rejoicing thing. When people persecute us because of our faith, because we believe in Jesus, we don't like it. Our flesh doesn't like it. But at the end of the day, when we stop and think about it, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Because there's something about my testimony and my walk with Jesus that is rubbing somebody the wrong way. That's not the intent of, our, of living our lives for Christ, but we see that by doing the right thing, sometimes it causes some friction among other people, doesn't it? Amen. And in closing, I want to close with this statement. <laughs> May we as believers Live in humility and obedience. The title of our lesson is, Don't Test God. So may we live in humility and obedience before the Lord and not test Him. May we walk before Him being reverent and keeping His commands in all things. Amen. Let us not put Him to the test. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have delivered thy word today. We see here, God, in the book of Acts, how the early church handled certain situations and certain things. Lord, we know there's going to be problems and persecutions. Help us to rejoice in those things. But Lord, the ultimate lesson we have learned today and that you want us to see is not to put you to the test. Let us not test you in being disobedient. Let us not test you in in refusing to speak the truth in Jesus. Let us not test you by lying to one another. Let us not test you by lying to other Christians. <clears throat> let us not test you by lying in your presence. And let us not test you by working against those that may be working for you. Help us, Lord, to learn to work together with other Christians who may believe things slightly different, who may do things slightly different. Help us not to work against you and be found to be putting you to the test But Lord, in all things, let us work together as believers in Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection that we may walk forward in victory in this life, Lord, and and affect those around us and and cause them to want to come to Jesus when they see our good works and they see our life lived before you in honesty and reverence and humility and obedience. Father, I give you thanks for these things today in Jesus' name. I pray you be with each and every one today and keep them all safe to the next appointed time.